So, uh, James, a very practical book of the Bible, gives us many, uh, just for instance, circumstances about how we should conduct ourselves as Christians. And we left off with verse 12, and uh, we were talking about how our yes should be yes and our no should be no. And then uh, he begins in verse 13 by saying, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. So you, you read that and think, well, of course. And yet uh, often it escapes us that if we're suffering, especially, that the thing we should be doing is praying. Um, my dear mother uh, had a statement years ago, especially, um, you would be complaining about your trials and your tests and your circumstances, and she'd listen very patiently and then say, you're right. Why pray when you could worry? <laughs> and, you know, <clears throat> it was a gentle rebuke to say, look, God is in control. You know, why are you allowing this to become so overwhelming? And the truth of the matter is that there's a certain degree of faithlessness involved in that. Whether it's somehow we've, you know, fallen into sin or drifted away from the Lord, or just through the inattentiveness of worry and concern, we've lost sight of God's capability. Are we suffering? Then where our heart should be is in the presence of the Lord. You know, <clears throat> I think in contrast, is anyone cheerful? Right? Because when you're suffering, you know, there are those that would tell you, just sing a song. <laughs> Be happy. Well, I'm sorry, but what I'm going through is terrible. You know, Proverbs tells us to not greet someone who's suffering with a song. Right? You know, aren't those people wonderful that just show up and want to be all perky? when you're being dragged through the mud, it doesn't encourage us. You know, Jesus you know, encouraged us, Paul encouraged us to mourn with those who were mourning and to rejoice with those who were rejoicing. Meet people where they're at. You know, yeah, sure, it's probably more spiritual when you're suffering to lift your heart and be joyful. I get that. But emotion is a real human condition. It's not all imagination, right? And I do need to qualify that because there is a certain degree of it that is just in our head, right? But it's also real and tangible that what we're going through can be very, very dark, very, very difficult. And I, I just, I think it's very, very short-sighted 
to approach people that are in the depths of suffering with an attitude. What you're really saying in that moment is, I'm better than you. <laughs> right? You know? If I was in your circumstances, I wouldn't be down in the dumps like you are. You should just be happy. Really? I'll swap right now. You know what I'm saying? I just, you know, it, it is so difficult at times. And, and, and you know, when you've gotten through it and you can look back, um, you know, don't be too harsh on those people. You know, try to look at, try to look at their motivations. They meant well. Right? What they were saying was, I hate to see you this way. You know, I wish I could change how you feel. Whether they even understand, you know, and I'll, I'll say that, that they don't understand. You know, the depths of sorrow. How many of you guys appreciate Oswald Chambers? Right? Okay. Um, so, uh, my utmost for his highest. Right? Are we all aware that Oswald did not write that? His wife. Okay compiled it from his sermons and his writings. Why? Because he suffered so much emotionally that very often he was incapable of looking at anything through a positive light. It, 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 it was He had health issues. He had what today might. I, I'm not saying he did. I'm saying what today might be classified as mental health issues. Right, And in those struggles, you see in his writings the things that came out of the depth of his relationship with the Lord. And his wife recognized the world needs to hear this. Okay? You know, there are many people um, that, that we appreciate. Charles Spurgeon openly wrote about the depth of depression that he dealt with. There was an occasion he recorded where his wife... Uh, came in, he had been bedridden with depression. And his wife came in dressed in black. And he said to her who died, because they, you know, then they, they would do that. If someone passed away, they would wear black. And she, without missing a beat, said, God. And he was angry and reacted to her, said, well, you know, blasphemy. How could you say God is dead? And she said, because you're acting like he is. You're letting this cripple you. You know, you do need to pray. And it may be an extended period of time in the suffering, the physical thing, you know, loss, death, you know, betrayal, you know, Ill, you know illnesses, you know, the things that we go through. Suffering may not be brief. You know, it may be prolonged. Remember where this whole book started, right? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you're faced with trials of many kinds. The testing of your faith will develop perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And when you're suffering, pray. Pray. You've got to turn your heart towards the Lord. I've prayed. I didn't hear anything. Keep praying. You may not, you may not hear anything. My emotions didn't change. They may not. 
You may be in that same position. I forget the minister that said it, but, you know, being in a rut is simply being in a grave with both ends knocked out. Right? It's just a continuous long line of being underground, being in the grave, being in that, you know, the rut of difficulty. So, So it may be a very long time. It doesn't, can we agree, it doesn't change who God is, right? I mean, you know, we, we may go through it for an extended period of time. Pray. Drill it into your own brain. You, you need to pray. When you are suffering, you need to pray. No one else may be capable of praying with you. Uh, their emotional experience may not even come close to where you are at. Jesus Christ will meet you in that place, right? Now, I've given the illustration many times before as Jesus cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there in the garden, he had begun to sweat great drops of blood. You know, any way this cup can pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The, the torture of going and being separated from God we, uh, the contrast that I put out, the illustration I put out, is at times during worship, your heart will be lifted into the presence of the Lord. And we often think, oh, I don't ever want to leave this place. You know, if we could just stay here and worship, let's do another 25 songs, you know, let's just sing all night. Let's never, let's just move into the church and stay here. and We'll all just fellowship together all the time, always, all day. You know, no concerns for anything. We'll just we'll just worship. Those moments, those brief moments where we experience the fellowship of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, the joyful elation of, you know, being in that emotional spot. That's that's wonderful. You gotta understand Jesus had experienced that to a greater extent than we had ever imagined. Fellowship, direct, union with God, right? The Father and I are one. And then, at the garden, he has to experience separation for the first time in all of eternity. And that bellowing cry from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Separated for the first, he knows the depth of your pain is what I'm trying to get at. He, he, you know, he, he descended into the grave for three days. Uh, he can identify with you. He can meet you, right? What does Hebrews tell us? We have a high priest who has been in all points tested as we were, right? He can sympathize with us. If no one else on earth is capable of meeting you where you are, Jesus Christ is. I don't feel him. I prayed and I don't feel him. I don't, he hasn't, moved me emotionally to the place I want to be. I'm still stuck in this pit. He's there with you. Whether you can feel him or not, he is there with you, right? He, you have his assurance. Has his word failed? Do we join Spurgeon's wife in mourning, right? Has his word failed? Has his promise failed? Has his character failed, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's important that we don't miss what James is encouraging us with here. If you're suffering, pray. Sink quietly, silently into the presence of the Lord and pray.
pray to him. He'll lift you out at some point, right? The blackness, the depth, the enveloping of what you go through. Listen, it will be very useful to someone else someday. You may never embrace it thinking, I'm so glad I went through that. But when you sit next to someone else whose heart is completely blackened, and you can say, I know what you're going through. And they can tell this person does. And even if you can't reach in and pull them out, you can say to them, I, I know and I will join you in prayer. I will join you in the depth of where you were at, which is what Jesus Christ did with us. He descended from glory, right, into this place. When, when, when the scripture tells us that he who ascended first descended into the lower parts of the earth, it's often misrepresented as his descending into hell. No, no, no. It's simply that he descended from the throne to this dark place. He came here and he has ascended back to the throne. He can, he can meet you where you are here. He came to this dark place and he can lift you out of this dark place into his presence. Let the Lord touch your heart. If you're suffering, pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. That's the proper thing. Now, I, I want to just uh, give a little curve here to us, right? Sometimes, right, I don't mean to get all psychological. Manic depression, you know, you go from the heights of elation to the depths of hell, <laughs> and back into the heights of elation, and back into the depths of hell. Here's the thing, okay? Sometimes we ride the roller coaster way too high. As the upswing comes, and we're no longer in the depths of hell, well, now we just, you know, get like three hours of sleep and get all manic. <laughs> Hallelujah, praise God, this is wonderful, and just, you know, we're going to change the world. How about we just go back to normalcy and let that joy be expressed through song? Express outwardly, right, to the world. Let the world hear you. You don't have to, like, stand up at a chair in your workplace and bellow out how great thou art, <laughs> you know, which has a certain effect, but not always positive, right? But when people can see you just shuffling through your job and they can hear you singing to yourself, you have to recognize how uncommon that is, right? You know, there are those people around us that sing secular songs and they're just singing. But when they can hear psalms and hymns and spiritual songs on your voice, it catches their attention as you're just strolling through the grocery store looking for the tuna fish, singing, you know, to yourself, to the Lord. You know, rather than, right, going, as I say, too far, let it just be that the world around you experiences what the Lord's done in your heart, is presently doing in your heart. 
that the song of joy, the psalms, would pour out of your life. Uh, it's interesting to see how that affects people. Just the joy in your face and the song on your lips. Do you see a lot of people strolling around today singing? I don't. You know what I'm saying? Wary, cautious, concerned. Even if they were, the mask is covering it up, right? The song of the Lord upon our lips. The joy of the Lord in our heart. Let it burn slowly. So the fuel isn't just consumed and you can sort of sputter out in the stratosphere somewhere and come rocketing back down into the earth and then the depths of hell again. Let it carry you. Let it be your joy. Let it be the thing that lifts you. He then says in verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Well, look, we all are. You know, some of us are physically sick. Some of us have prolonged illnesses. Others have, you know, forever injuries that we're going to deal with. You know, some of us are sick of heart. Some of us have experienced and done things that fill us with regret. Are we sick? Any of us sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. You know, here's something that I want to point out as a pastor. And you can pray for other people. I know you guys don't do this, but it happens in other churches I hear where people get sick and they don't tell the leadership of the church and then they get embittered at the leadership of that church because the leadership of that church didn't automatically know they were suffering. It doesn't happen here, but at other churches I hear that happens. So you can pray for them, right? Because what, what James said right here is if you're sick, you have to contact. The, you need to seek them out, right, if you're sick. And, and clearly all of you guys will do that. That's, that's because you're biblical and you follow what the Word of God says, right? It's interesting to me how that affects people. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Notice it's plural. The elders, plural. I want to be careful <clears throat> about always calling that one deacon or that one elder or the pastor. Because you begin to associate the prayer, the healing, and the touch with that one individual. Because the comfort, the healing, the touch comes from the Holy Spirit not the person. No matter how powerful, right, Paul's ministry is, Peter's ministry is, people laying their sick outside so that Peter's shadow might fall upon them and make them well. Paul's sweatbands literally being stolen and taken home and laid on sick people, as powerful, right, as a ministry like Paul's is, Paul has an illness that he describes as being a tent stake driven through his body. You know, the three foot long Bedouin tent stake that would hold up like a whole mobile home tent size building. You know, he was a tent maker, that type of tent stake driven through his body, impaled. I'm impaled with an illness. 
prayed three times, Paul said, that it would be removed from me. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. All right, and, and the Lord told Paul that I'm leaving that in place so that you'll stay humble. Because the level of revelation you have received from me, I'm paraphrasing, has exceeded almost everyone else. And you might become puffed up, right? More than one-third of the New Testament written by Paul. That could go to your head. And the Lord said, no, we're going to leave that in place. So that you have to rely upon me continuously. And as he relies upon the Lord then he can teach us to rely upon the Lord. So, you know, we need to call for the elders, plural, of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Again, the concept that it isn't the elder, or even plural, the elders, we come seeking the presence of the Holy Spirit. Pour the oil. We obey this bottle of oil right there in my, you know, windowsill to anoint people that are sick with oil and pray over them. You know, we usually just smear oil on them. We could, if you want, pour the whole thing over your head. You know, placing the oil on them, putting the oil on them, symbol of the Holy Spirit. So that the Lord is getting the credit. I'm always disturbed whenever anybody puts their name in front of whatever gift the Lord may have given them and then put ministry on the other end. You know, the will cast healing ministry. I find that odd. You know, no matter how white your sport jacket is, it's odd. You know. Uh, you know, if you have a particular gift of evangelism, I just find it a little odd to put your name out on the front end of that and and claim it as your own. Because in the end, where do these gifts come from? Right? They they belong to the Lord, and the Scripture is very clear about that. That He gives to the individual the gift that He intends for the body of Christ to receive, not the individual. Giving the gift so that it can be delivered to the body of Christ. It's for the edification, the building up of the body of Christ. Important that we remember that, right? That it's not our church. People will ask me, how's your church doing? <laughs> yeah. Gosh, I hope I don't have a church, you know. A group of followers of Will Cass. Spurgeon was walking with a friend in London and they saw a drunk ahead of them staggering who fell down into the gutter and Spurgeon's friend said, isn't that one of your converts? And Spurgeon looked and said, it must be. That's not a convert of Jesus Christ. He wouldn't be drunk out of his mind falling down in the ditch. If he were a convert of Jesus, <laughs> he'd be sober and following the wishes of the Lord. Since he's following the appetites of his flesh, you're right. Probably one of my converts. 
There's something to consider in that. You know, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I have seen this many times. Many times. Um, most profound way was my brother was in Bible College, uh, New Brunswick Bible Institute. And um, he started getting very sick. And they had a whole bunch of theories, uh, infected, impacted, wisdom teeth, all these different things. Bring him home. He's got tetanus. Now it's well advanced. It's into his chest and shoulders. Uh, Lockjaw. Okay, um, starts in the jaw, but it locks your entire muscular system in your heart is a muscle and your lungs are run on muscle and you're going to die. Tetanus is lethal. And by the time they get him home from Canada and go through a series of tests, this guy is full upper torso locked and now we're in the hospital and he's dying. And they have to tell my mother you have literally a matter of hours. We're going to put him in an iron lung tomorrow, about this time in the morning, and he may have a few hours after that, but he's on his way out. You need to begin your, your goodbyes right now and get family and relatives here because he is not going to survive this. We can't reverse the process at this point. And she said, no. And went and saw her pastor. And they came and anointed him with oil. And she opened her Bible. And sat at his bedside at Eastern My Medical Center. And started reading Psalms. And stayed there all night reading Psalms out loud. And fell asleep at his bedside. And woke up the next morning. To him sitting upright in bed. Speaking clearly the first time in weeks. Saying I'm really hungry. Can you get me some food? And she went down to the nurse's station. Now, keep in mind, this woman was an LPN, so she knows medicine to some degree. And goes down, tells the nurse's station, Andrew is awake and very hungry. You need to bring some food up to him. Now, his jaw had been locked for over a week at that point, I think, drinking through a straw. And now he wants food. And they say, yeah, yeah, we'll be right up. And an hour later, she's down there. And then a little after that, she's down there saying, you send the charge nurse up right now and bring food with you because he's starved out of his mind. And they go up and everybody goes into a panic. And now they get the doctors up there and everybody's freaked out about how did this happen? And she's just standing there looking like the religious nut. Saying he was anointed with oil and we prayed over him and I've read the scripture all night. That's how he was healed. Yeah, but how, how did he get better? <laughs> you know. They refused to release him. Right? Because no one gets better once you've reached this stage. doesn't happen. And they literally have to sign and discharge themselves and just walk out of the hospital at a, against doctor's orders. Healed. Right. I've seen other occasions where we prayed over people, anointed them, healed. 
I've prayed over people and anointed them with oil, and then we've buried them also. Because it's the Lord's will. Not mine. But we need to be obedient, right? This isn't as though James is saying, this is the method to the magic trick. As long as you do these things, right? If it be the Lord's will, call for the elders, anoint them with oil, pray over them. If it be the Lord's will, then they will be healed. They will be made well. And it will be a testimony. It will be a testimony to the world and to you as the body of Christ. Notice that in this, it says, the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Well, I would ask the question, what person who has ever been sick has not committed sins? Because everyone has committed sins. So what's more being said in this clears the conscience of the individual that's sick. How many times have you been sick and thought, this is because of my sin? I'm suffering because of. It's a thing that's very, very common. When you're sick, when your body is sick, when you're experiencing the frailty, the weakness, the mortality of your flesh, that your heart immediately goes to the mortality of your soul. And in that, the Lord is saying, we'll wipe the slate clean. You don't have to live under the shroud and the cloud of, I'm suffering because of my sins. Well, we can say that generally about everything, can't we, right? Sin produces death. That's how it comes into the world. That's how we are all experiencing it. Sin is deteriorating our frame. And we are someday going to meet the end of that. We are all under the curse. A big part of our scientific community, I mean other than Dr. Fauci, there's a big part of our scientific community that is actively trying to fight against the curse. You can't. And it's, it's a really arrogant thing and a really dangerous thing to act like it's possible. Okay? We are all going to die. God gave us that curse in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned against him. And to act like we just got to figure out, you know, the human cell, it repairs itself. It's got all of this DNA inside. It should continue to do that, but something is broken down and it doesn't continue to repair itself. So we just got to find the flaw in the DNA and repair the DNA so the DNA will continue to repair itself and then we'll live forever. There's a group of scientists that are actively working on that. They're large and extremely well-funded. Okay. There is one little tricky element I find in the scripture, in the book of Revelation, as God begins to pour his curses out upon this planet. It says that men will seek death and be unable to find it. I wonder, I wonder... If right as all of these things come together, man is going to unlock that and make it possible to live forever. J 
just as we step over the threshold where everyone will be wishing to die. There's a concept there. There's also the possibility that the Lord is just going to lift that curse, not to torture men, hear me in this, so that they can't die because he wants them to repent. Whichever way it comes, he's not going to allow it. He's going to keep them, right? He, he, he understands that eternity and judgment lie on the other side of that threshold, and he doesn't want humanity to experience that. He's, he's inviting repentance. He's longing to see humanity come to the point of salvation. The forgiveness of sins and the healing of our physical frame. If you've committed sins, he will be forgiven. We have these, these imperative statements, will be forgiven. Not perhaps will be forgiven. You know, if he calls for the elders and he's prayed over, then it really doesn't matter that the individual might still be struggling. The prayers of the saints invoke God's forgiveness in the circumstance. Others praying for your forgiveness. Others praying for your cleansing. Anyone who's suffered with these types of things knows what it's like to have that burden finally lifted and have the clear conscience. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You know, separately but also inclusively. In the moment of sickness where you're asking the elders to pray over you, it would be a good time to say, these are the sins I'm struggling with. I need you to pray for me. Because I get the strong sense that these things are coupled together. And if nothing else, the Lord is laying a heavy burden upon my heart and my mind right now. Would you pray for me? Now, I'll tell you right now, if you're going to make confession to somebody else, make sure it's not the church gossip. <laughs> and if you're thinking, our church doesn't have any gossips, make sure you don't tell the church gossip. You want to talk to somebody you know is extremely trustworthy. Right? Because people do struggle with things. And, you know, what? what is that old sort of cliche? You know, gossip in Christianity is telling a prayer request to one person at a time. It's important, right? Love covers a multitude of sins. Love will make you keep your mouth shut about the things you need to keep your mouth shut about. Uh, it's important that we are able to confess to one another and to hold one another. I've had people tell me things that stood the hair right up on the back of my neck. Just, wow, you are messed up, you know. <laughs> but Christ can forgive you. And we need to do that. We need to open our mouths and share. You know, that also says you need to have deep personal relationships in Christianity. If you don't have one of those relationships, you might want to start looking for that type of relationship. Someone who is way more mature than you spiritually. 
who is way more trustworthy than you spiritually, who can listen to things, not your priest, right? Not your confessor. Someone that can understand and identify and hold you. That can think about you throughout the week and think, oh my goodness, I've been through the same struggles and the same. I should pray for them right now. And they, you know, they're pouring their heart out to the Lord. It's a dark thing to keep your secrets to yourself. It'll poison your heart. It'll trouble you beyond imagination. Yeah. It's uh, interesting. Psychology has gone through the process of looking at human beings, and I disagree with a great deal, not everything, but a great deal, particularly in what they think and say about solutions. Sometimes they're very accurate in analyzing how a person got to the place that they're at, the things that have mangled us and messed us up. From there, their solutions very often are convoluted, you know, especially when their first reaction is to pull out the prescription pad. That's troubling. But sometimes its observation is accurate. And they say that almost 100% of what troubles individuals is hidden sin, we would describe, of our own or other people's. People that have affected us are those that we have affected. Things we are doing that are wrong, right? The worst case scenario with psychology is they try to teach the person to accept their sin, right? They, they recognize this is your sin, so you just need to learn to be comfortable with that. Worst case scenario is you actually learn how to be comfortable with it. That, that'll mess you up more than you can imagine. You know, if you're living in sin, the thing you need to experience is freedom from it. God to deliver you from doing those things. And then the other side of that is people have done things to you. That injury, that hurt, the soul that has been damaged, you know, boil it down. Very often what you're looking at is anger and bitterness and resentment. I have been wronged. Sin has touched me and affected me. So consider having someone, what's that old thing? Every Christian needs to have a Timothy in their life and a Paul in their life. Someone that you're a Timothy to. You need to have those relationships. If you've isolated yourself unto yourself, remember that Proverbs tells us the man, woman, who isolates themselves, right, seeks their own desires, and rages against all sound judgment. Yeah. You can drive yourself mad by just being alone with yourself. So consider that we need these deep relationships. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective 
fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Yeah, that does have a very broad application, but notice how it's coupled together with the healing and then piled on with the spiritual healing of confession, right? And the forsaking of sin. These things need to be present in our lives. And, you know, sure, you know, you need a new job, right? The effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Our nation is in trouble, right? The effective fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. You know, fill in the blank of all the various spiritual needs. The effective, you know, fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Sure, but how about illness, right, and sin? Accountability, relationship. The effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Availeth much. And it's difficult for us to consider how these fervent prayers sometimes are not heeded because righteousness is not coupled with them. We're living in sin and praying fervently. Ah, so... If you couple yourself with someone else who's not living in that same sin, who joins you in the fervent prayers for you, confession, right? Opening up your dark soul and letting someone else see what's inside and pray for you. Their righteous, effective, fervent prayers have a great impact on your life. People underestimate the power of prayer. Christianity underestimates the power of prayer. Uh, if you haven't read, you can get them on Amazon. Uh, Chuck Smith has a whole series of books. Calvary Chapel has a whole series of books uh, ready to write down. Calvary Chapel's uh, basic uh, studies uh, is a book called uh, Effective Prayer Life. Booklet, like 90 pages, small, like, like this big. And Chuck talks about how effective prayer is and how uh, it's, you know, a weapon listed as a weapon in uh, the scripture. We need to use it. And uh, he gives many illustrative examples of how important it is. Um, uh, talking about how you, know, you get into an argument with somebody, you get into a physical fight with somebody. Um, it's just going to be matched on your intellect, your wit. Um, or your physical strength and skills, you know, skill, strength for skill and strength. You go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. You introduce a weapon into that. Uh, all of that goes out the window, and the only concern is the control of the weapon, right? You know, if you've got all kinds of martial arts skills, it really doesn't mean anything if somebody draws a gun. Or even if they pull out a knife. You have to control the weapon. Prayer is a weapon. And one of the biggest evidences of it is you try to go pray and your enemy tries to control your prayer. The phone rings and the dog suddenly is thrown up and, you know, the car breaks down and, you know, the fire in the kitchen and just, right. Your enemy needs to control the weapon of prayer. It's, it's amazing the distractions that come when you try to pray. Be a person of prayer. And in that process, uh, Chuck gives some examples of how effective it is. He, he describes it as a long-range weapon. 
right? Because we can sit here tonight and pray about things going on in the Supreme Court. We're not even there. We don't have to have arguments and discussions with those people. We can send the Holy Spirit to them, right? You, you can pray for China tonight, and your prayers go all the way to China. You know, intercontinental ballistic prayer. I don't know how that works. Right? You can pray all the way to Korea. And he gives an example of a woman in their church who had come for a number of years, and she uh, came to Chuck and explained that in prayer, um, she had begun to uh, have this number run through her head, long number. And uh, she was more or less asking Chuck, like, am I crazy? Like, this is really weird. Like, every time I pray, this number gets clearer and clearer. The backstory to this is uh, she was smuggled out of uh, North Korea as a newborn because they, the limitations on families and everything that they have there and the oppression that they have there. Her family were Christians, and they wanted this daughter to be raised by Christians in a free world. And they smuggled her to South Korea, and she was shipped out of the country for adoption. And uh, she knew that history, but knew nothing of her family, being that they were in North Korea. And so she's praying now as a, a Christian. Uh, she was adopted by a Christian family, raised as a Christian, very devout Christian. She's now an adult, and she's praying. Um, and this number is coming to her mind. And Chuck is saying, well, I don't know what the number is, but, um, you know, you shouldn't think that you're crazy. You know, you know, nothing's telling you to do anything weird with the number or you know anything. You just you get in this thing. And as they were having this conversation, somebody said, that's an international phone number. And uh, they went and looked it up, and it was in North Korea. And so days later, she made the phone call, and the person that answered was her uncle. I mean, what are the odds of that? And that's where she got the whole story about the fact that her family were Christians and they were persecuted and didn't want her to be raised inside North Korea and that they had smuggled around this whole thing. In, you know, they're in Korea praying for her, right? She's in Korea praying without any knowledge of them for them, and the Lord connects those two things. You know, the power of prayer... You know, you may probably never have anything that supernatural happen, but I guarantee you, I guarantee you that the Lord is working in your prayers without question. You know, you say, well, I've prayed for so-and-so and I can see they're still resisting the Lord. I guarantee you your prayers are going, going to that. You know, you know, you've prayed for a certain person that needs the Lord so bad, and you know, every time you talk to them, they're more angry about you and your relationship with God, and you're preaching at them. And, you know, that old statement, uh, when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yells the loudest is the one that you hit. You know, when you're praying for somebody, and they're more resistant, 
and complaining more and more fervent about their despising your faith. I guarantee it's probably because your prayers are hitting them very directly in a way that's very impactual. Pray. Understand the impact. Understand the effectiveness of those prayers. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Hey, listen. Examine yourself closely. Right? And usually that grosses us right out when we look at ourselves real close. Maybe you don't even have to look at yourself very close. First glance, you're sort of appalled spiritually with yourself. The scripture is telling us that Elijah was like us, had like nature, like sinful nature, like our own. You know, Elijah is often representative of all the prophets because he was such a prominent distinctive figure and individual. When you refer to the prophets, very uh, often Elijah was sort of the figurehead of, you know, all prophets sort of fall under the Elijah frame of mind. Elijah was like us. And, and it's the idea of and yet, right? It's not just inclusive. It's the idea of even though he was like that, is what the Greek language is implying. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Scripture tells us that Elijah stopped the rain with his prayers. That's remarkable. That is remarkable. Do you have the mindset that your prayers are that powerful? Because that's what James is telling you. That if you'll walk in fellowship with the Lord, you will hear from the Lord with that level of accuracy and the Lord will touch and affect the circumstances in the way that you are praying about. He prayed and he stopped up the heavens with his prayers. What a remarkable statement. He prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. The mercy of God came when he prayed. Praying into your life, praying into other people's lives, it's very important that we understand what's on the other end of that prayer, who the receiver of that prayer is, and what he's going to do. I'm very repetitious. I've shared with you all many times. You know, when Lori and I were first married, uh, Lori followed me into Christianity, but it wasn't her choice, right? I had an encounter with the Lord that showed me the faith that I was raised in, that I had been running from for years was real, that Jesus Christ was real. And I needed to surrender my life to the Lord. And I did that wholeheartedly. And a year later, Lori realized that the exciting party hound Will Cass was gone. Not coming back. Not coming back. And our marriage fell apart. 
And uh, I had no hope that it was going to be restored. For the first three months, I did. I prayed very fervently. Uh, but I had given up hope. My mother didn't. She had a vision, literally, of Lori coming back to our marriage. And she had one suitcase in her hand and had our daughter in the other hand and was running away, in, in, according to my mother, from what was like a war. That she was like a refugee fleeing with our daughter, one suitcase, running towards me. Middle of the afternoon, my mom's sitting in her chair with a Bible reading. And she just says, I just had a vision. <laughs> you know, as much as you want to believe that, you're also like, okay, tell me. You know, and she tells me. And I hang on to it. But, you know, after 11 months, you're just sort of like, well, I mean. I mean, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I mean, what, what am I going to do, right? Called Lori almost every day, told her how much I loved her, how much I wanted to put our family back together, all these different things. And the day before Christmas, 1992, she calls me, and her opening words are, uh, were you serious? That's how she greets me on the phone. Were you serious? And I say, what do you mean? And she said, were you serious all those times that you told me that you loved me and that you were willing to put our family back together? And I say, yeah, absolutely. She said, you can't come get me uh, today or tomorrow, but you can come get me the day after tomorrow. So, day after Christmas. I say, okay, do it. Get off the phone. I, I have nothing. It's been almost a year, right? I, I've... Moved back in with my mom. I've sold everything. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like not prepared for this. And I literally start looking through the paper for a place to live. I got no furniture. I got no nothing. And uh, here's a place to rent. Huh. That's really weird. It's just down the road from where I am right now. And I make the phone call. And the voice is very familiar. And I say... Is this Ron? And he says, yeah. I say, this is Will Cass. Oh, no kidding. Like, lifelong friend of the family. I'm looking for a place to rent. Oh, I'll rent that house to you. House, right? I'll rent that house to you. Don't need a security deposit. Don't need first and last. Just move in when you're ready. Pay me the first month's rent. You know? Get off the phone. Phone call comes in. Heard you guys are, you know, moving into a house. Uh, So-and-so is just moving, and they need to get rid of all their furniture. And it goes on like that for two days. We'll bring it over to you. And all the stuff's in the place. And oil. And, you know, all the, everything that's going, like, like family got shut off, and now family's getting turned back on. So I'll just tell the gory details. Of in the midst of this whole thing, right? I'm that newly converted Christian kook that people around Lori hate. So they want to destroy me. 
And I had turned myself into the police. Some of you know that story. And I had done my time and I got out and I'm working in ministry. And people find out about this. So they call my probation officer and tell him a huge host of lies. And my probation officer calls me in and he's like, so you're going back to jail. (laughs) I'm like, wow, that stinks. Why? And he says, because all of these things. And I say, well. Let's go ahead and start the process of looking at each one of those things. And we do. And, oh, this one is fake, and that one's a lie, and this is untrue, and that, and this is that, that, that. Okay, fine. You're not in trouble. You're not going to jail. I now know all of those things are lies, but here's the deal. You can't ever leave the state by order of the court because all those people are going to make massive trouble for you. So you have to stay in Maine where I can keep an eye on you. In fact, you have to stay in Penobscot County. And if you're going to leave the county, you have to let me know. So I have to call him up and say, I'm going to drive to Kittery. And I'm going to pick up my wife. A friend is going to go across the border into New Hampshire and get her. And he says, you can do that. But don't you dare cross the state line. So we drive to New Hampshire, and I'm in Kittery, and my friend drives over to Kittery. I'm in in Kittery. He drives over to New Hampshire, picks her up. I'm waiting, and I'm standing in a parking lot, and I hear a voice call my name, and I turn around, and here comes Lori with one suitcase in her hand and my daughter Christian in the other hand jogging toward me, looking over her shoulder, frantically saying, we need to get in the car right now because if my family finds out that I've left, we're going to be in so much trouble. The effectual, fervent prayers, I'll have to assign all of that to Sheila Cass. Right? Because, you know, righteous man, fine, but I wasn't praying with that, uh, you know, a man like Elijah, like passions of doubt. The Lord accomplishes his will. Pray earnestly that the rain would stop. Pray earnestly that it would start again. Uh, listen, this is going to sound uh, stupid, but like, if you've been blessed by my family and by my wife, right, know that there's other people who prayed very fervently for my family, that it would be restored and protected and preserved. There's a very practical application too. you know, rain stops, rain starts based upon prayers. Don't doubt the prayers. You know, you're suffering, pray, right? Filled with joy, sing songs, walk in fellowship with the Lord. Let him touch your life. Let him see the fruitfulness, right? The heavens gave rain. The earth produced its fruit. The Lord pours out his blessing and produces fruitfulness in your life. What is it? What what is it that you're praying for? What is it that you need? If it aligns with his will, he will do it. He will do it. Pray that way. Pray for him to accomplish these things. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner 
from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Some of those people, you'd like to just sort of dust your hands of them, right? <laughs> just, oh my word, I've dealt with this for so long, it drives me crazy. Don't hesitate to wade in. Every time I get around them, and they're just so terrible, and it takes me days, all I can think about is them, they just consume my whole mind. Praise God. Now you can meditate. They've tortured you so badly that now you can meditate for the next three days on them in prayer. Is that not worth the effort? To see them delivered from their junk and to see them eternally in the presence of the Lord? Would you not give anything for that? Right? We'd say, I give my right arm. Would you not give your right arm to save someone from hell? To see them delivered into the presence of the Lord for eternity. Very often, you guys, the reason that we throw in the towel is out of selfishness. This is a discomfort to me. This is a, you know, a thing that I don't care for. I don't, I don't enjoy this. Darn right. <laughs> it's not enjoyable. Right? Like uh, being crucified. Is not comfortable. Crucified for your sake and my sake. Not his own sake. He can go through those difficulties, you know, directly for himself. He receives benefits, us. That's remarkable. That we are his inheritance. That he takes joy in us. The same as you will take joy to see someone come to the Lord. To turn a sinner from their error. Right? Yeah, we, Seth and I having a conversation the other night about how we used to try to argue people. Or I did. Seth was just agreeing with me. <laughs> try to argue people into the kingdom. Say what needs to be said. And then exert all the rest of that energy into prayer. Go, go, go to the Lord. Stay on your knees. You know, don't don't shun the conversation that needs to happen. But don't try to win their soul in that moment. N know that, right? Know the effectiveness of prayer. Let the Lord perform it. Let, it, let the Lord exert his strength in those moments and to see his will done. Amen? Amen. Well, we'll have to, you know, continue into first peter next week so that's a completion of your study in james i think you guys if you look at where we started with those struggles that he's talking about in the, in the opening of this book consider it pure joy and and then he refers to them as the diaspora the scattering of seed the fruitfulness and then he ends with this you know effectiveness the, the things you're going to have to go through in order to bring people into the kingdom. It's worth it. You know, lots of practical discussion in the midst of the thing as to how to conduct yourself as a Christian, but I think there's a real tight bookend on each side of that. Struggles, dispersion, the Lord scattering, distributing us to fruitfulness. People coming into the kingdom at the other end. Your, your life is worth it. The sacrifice is worth it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray.
stand up in that shock of pain. Father, we thank you very much for all that you are and every way that that touches our lives. Help us to follow you in obedience, Lord, that we would hear you, that we would understand you, that we would follow you, that we would see your will being accomplished through us, Lord. May we have many more testimonies of your work day to day from the things that are going on in our lives and the way that you're using us, Lord. We surrender ourselves to you anew and pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our lives through us, by us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.